You have probably heard the expression, uh, uh, the expression person of interest at some point. In legal terms, a person of interest is a person being monitored, sought, or questioned in connection with a criminal investigation or security operation, especially as a potential sub suspect. There was a TV show called Person of Interest, although I really never watched it. Well, today I want to look at persons of interest in another way. I want to look at people in the Bible whom Jesus showed great interest. Of course, the Lord loves everyone, and when He walked this earth, many thousands of people touched Him and were helped by Him, but there were some individuals that were especially important to the ministry of our Lord, people just like us. And today I want to begin looking at those people as we begin a new series on person of interest. And I want you, as we go through this series, I want to see if you can identify with one or more of these people. Because let me tell you today, believe it or not, he is still interested in you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. And we'll be looking at this passage of Scripture and the person of interest today who is John the Baptist. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that your word is filled with power. Not just instructions of how to get to heaven, but instructions of how to live. Lord, you, you tell us in your word how to please you. And God, if we don't search your word, we're not going to know how to please you. But Lord, the more we please you, the more we will sense that you are interested in our lives. We will see you at work when we will see you at work and experience your power when we search for you, when we seek you with all our hearts. And that would be my prayer today, that as we look at John the Baptist, that Lord, we'll see in him something that would form an example for us to follow. And in some way, we might see us, Lord, just like you saw him. We might see ourselves is people that are so special to you and so important to your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story of John the Baptist begins with the elderly priest, Zacharias, and his wife, Elizabeth. I'm going to be looking at different passages of Scripture, and I'll have them on the screen for you, where you can turn and flip back and forth as we look at those, but mainly we'll be in Matthew 3 today. Now, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth were older people, too old to have children, but not too old to serve the Lord and follow Him faithfully. In fact, let me just say to you that you never get too old to serve the Lord. Never. Can I get an amen? Come on. Amen. You never get too old to serve the Lord. In fact, I look at some of our elderly people, and, uh, you know, Miss uh, Anna Snyder, 97 years old, and others. And there's some people here in this church family today over up in their 90s still serving the Lord. I am so blessed to have you as part of my life. You are a model, models of faithfulness to God. Thank you so much. Well, Zacharias and Elizabeth were that way. They were serving the Lord faithfully. We see in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, notice they were, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. It means they kept the Word of God. They followed the Word. That's a great testimony, one which most people cannot confess. You know, Zacharias and Elizabeth loved the Lord. They were faithful to the Lord all their lives. And it was Zacharias' privilege to, be a, to serve in the Jerusalem temple as a priest. And, and of course, there were different things going on in the temple. And Zacharias was, it, it came his time to go in and burn incense in the holy place. You know, that only happened in a priest's life because there were so many hundreds of them. It, it, it only happened maybe a couple times in their lifetime that they could actually enter that holy place and burn incense. But that's what Zacharias was doing. When the Lord gave him a, a precious promise through an angel. 
as he was burning that in, incense. And notice that in Luke one thirteen, But the angel said to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. Zacharias and his wife have been praying for a son. And they continued to pray. Even when their age was past that of childbearing, they never stopped praying for a child. Folks, do you know that God can do the impossible? If you know that, say amen. Has God ever done something that seemed impossible for you? If so, say amen. Well, amen, I'll say it. Hey, for me, wow, there's some things God's done in my life that I say there is no other explanation other than the hand of God. You know, he was interested in my life. Do you know something? He's interested in your life. And every time you see God at work, just remember that. That he loves you, that he's interested in you, that he wants, he wants to do great things and bless your life. And that's what he wanted for Zacharias and Elizabeth. So God, the angel said, Zacharias, God has heard your prayer, and you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And then in addition, Zacharias told or the angel told Zacharias that his son would be a special person in the ministry of the Messiah. Now, now watch this, Luke 1, 14 through 17. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Talking about Zacharias' son, his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before the Lord, him, capital H, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was going to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. You know, the, the Lord promised faithful Zacharias that his son would be a prophet to preach repentance and prepare the way for the Messiah. And we know who the Messiah was. Who is he? Jesus. Now, we cannot preach repentance with any authority unless our own lives are set apart for the Lord. I want you to think about that for a minute. John's parents saw that their son was set apart from, the Lord, from birth for the service of the Lord. Uh, parents, if you have young children, pray over them and set them apart. Dads, you're the priest of that home, like Zacharias was a priest. You're the priest of your home. And you ought to take your child when he's young or she is young. And you ought to put your hand, lay your hands on that child. And you ought to be praying. And you ought to be saying, Father, God, I pray for my son. I pray for my daughter that you will take and use my son or daughter for your glory. I pray that you'll protect them from evil, from all the influences of Satan. And you ought to pray that. Moms, you ought to be praying that. We ought to pray for, them, pray for them when they are young and pray them through all the way till they're serving the Lord. Amen? That's what our world needs today. It's what our nation needs today. Some Christian parents who will, who will do who will take seriously their responsibility to raise their children in the fear of God, in the nurture and the fear of the Lord. We need to take our children from the time they're young and teach them about Jesus and teach, show them by our own example how to follow Jesus. We ought to do that. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were promised that their son would be a prophet, and from the time he was born they set him apart and they did what was necessary for him with that Nazarite vow. And they took him and they set him apart and they kept him and they sheltered him. And we need to shelter our children from this evil world. What do you want to do? Put those little children out there in the big mess that we're in today where people, where they're being taught. You, you don't even know if you're a boy or a girl. You can be anything you want to be, any of the 60-some genders. Folks, it's, some, it's, a, it's not only perversion, it's confusion. And who is the author of confusion according to the Word of God? Do you know? Satan. Satan. So you want to thrust your little child out there and let Satan teach him what he wants to know. You want to protect them. That's why we have a school. That's why we have a Christian school to try and protect our children from pre-K 3 through the 12th grade. If you've got a child 
you need to put them in a school, a Christian school somewhere, if, if at all possible. And if you need to know how to do that, you talk to me. I'll be glad to show you any way I can how you, you can put your child in a Christian school. Because we need to shelter these children. We need to pay attention to what they see, what they hear, the people they are around. We need to shelter them. And John the Baptist's parents did exactly that. And so when he grew up, what did he do? He did exactly what his parents had taught him to do. Serve the Lord. John 1 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That was John's mission, to bear witness to the light of the world, that through his message and witness, people would believe in Jesus. Did you notice what it said, that little word? It just caught my attention just now while I read it. That all through him might believe. How many people did God want to believe through John the Baptist? How many? All. All. And folks, when we're out in this world planting, sowing those kingdom seeds, how many people should we want to hear and believe in Jesus? All. God's called it. Is everybody going to believe? No. But how many should we want to believe? All. That should be our desire. So this was John's mission. To bear witness to the light of the world that through his message and witness... All people would believe in Jesus. How powerful is it that God's purpose for this man was to be a light for the light of the world? Wow. And yet, that's the purpose of every Christian, folks. That's God's purpose for you. He's interested in you and He's interested in your ministry. If you're a Christian, you're a minister of the Lord Jesus. He's interested in that. He's interested that your life be a light that points others. To him, Jesus said, Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify their Father who is in heaven. That's a, a life of faithful service where we obey Jesus because we love Jesus. Hey, uh, life's filled with ups and downs, folks. Life's filled with pain and suffering. Life's filled with, uh, I know, <laughs> life is filled with all kind of hardships. I can tell you that from experience, but I want to tell you, you've got a choice to make in your time of grief and sorrow, in your time of pain and misery, you can, either, you can either grovel in that pain and misery and let it keep you down, or you can go on and serve Jesus. And I'd rather serve Jesus, wouldn't you? Because I know, it's like this, if you're going to hurt whether you're serving Jesus or not, the best thing to do is to do what? Serve Jesus. Serve Jesus. Don't let, don't let anything stop you from being faithful and serving Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist. John shined the light through what he said and did and prepared the way for Jesus. And that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be lighting the way, shining the light to prepare the way for Jesus to intercept some heart that needs Him. Now in his book, All Men of the Bible, Dr. Herbert Lockyer wrote about John the Baptist. He said, with the appearance of John the Baptist, we have the burial of the old dispensation and the emergence of the new. We seem to see his rugged figure standing with arms outstretched, as, with, as if with one hand he takes the Old Testament and the other hand he holds the new. And who through his ministry makes the transition from law to grace? He was the foreclosure of the old and the forerunner of the new. You know, John stepped out of the pages, stepped out onto the pages of the New Testament looking like an Old Testament prophet, and that's what he was. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the New Testament prophets. Remember, he preached at a time before Jesus had revealed himself. So he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And then he is the first of the New Testament prophets because he encountered Jesus. We're going we're to look at that in just a minute. John's message makes him and his and his life makes him an interesting figure because his message was was bold but his life was one of humility we we see him looking kind of rugged <laughs> he looking like a, a outdoorsman like you know he Raiding camels, dressed in camel hair. We don't know what exactly he looked like, but here he comes, this rugged individual. But his heart was humble before the Lord. I want you to notice John's message. 
and his life for the Lord as we look at those things today. First of all, John's me- and, and especially in Matthew 3, by the way. So, first John's message of repentance before the Lord. Let's take a look at that. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, there's that kingdom again. We just finished that, didn't we? Man, it's all about the kingdom. It's about Jesus coming, bringing his kingdom. But, so he's preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around Jordan... The Jordan River went out to meet him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Repentance is his message. Repent, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance means to change the mind and practice in regards to sin. That word repent means to make an about face. A change of mind, a complete change of direction. It means to forsake sin and turn to God. It means to change direction, to change direction from doing evil to doing good. From pleasing Satan and self to pleasing our Savior. We read about it in Mark chapter 1. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. John's message was repent. Jesus said in order to truly accept the gospel, we must first repent. Why? Because unless we truly recognize our own need for God's forgiveness, we will not really trust Jesus for forgiveness. You have to realize you're lost before you can be saved. John was preaching the message of repentance and faith because he believed the Messiah was coming. And he, like many who heard his message, longed for the Messiah to come with forgiveness. Folks, have you ever longed for the Lord? Have you ever had such a desire for the Lord Jesus? We must repent of our sin in order to be forgiven and brought near to God. We cannot hold on to sin with one hand and reach out and take God with the other. Sin separates us from God. It separates the sinner forever from God. And the only way that separation can be overcome is through repentance and faith in the blood of the Lamb of God. Now, Simon Peter knew about repentance. You remember on the night of the Last Supper when Jesus said, Now, one of you is going to betray me, and Simon Peter said, Not me. I'm not going to betray you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never deny you. Jesus said, Oh, Simon. He said, Simon, you know, your, your heart is good, but Simon... Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And what a terrible night it was. And Simon Peter did deny Jesus three times. You know what the Bible said? The Bible said that he, he was watching Jesus when the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked at him and it broke his heart. And Peter went out and he wept in repentance. He repented of his sin of denying Jesus. And you know, as bad as it was... The Lord Jesus, after he repented, he raised him up and Simon Peter became the leader of the disciples and the early church. And Peter went out and preached the first message and thousands were saved. And Simon Peter went on and preached the gospel and took the gospel and and led the church until the time that he gave his own life on a cross, on a cross for, for, for Jesus. And he asked his captors if he might be crucified in a different way than his Savior was crucified. That he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way his Savior. Repentance will bring humility in your life. Just repent of your sin and it will bring you to a place to where you can recognize how great God is and how much you need him. And that's what Simon Peter did. He knew about repentance. True salvation follows repentance. And it's a sign of repentance. John, the baptizer, called for baptism. Notice with me Mark chapter 1, John, uh, verse 4 and 5. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, 
confessing their sins. John preached a message of repentance followed by the act of baptism. Now let's talk about baptism for a minute. I hope you've been baptized. If you're a Christian, you should be baptized. If you accept Jesus in your life, you should be baptized. Jesus said you should be baptized in water. The word baptism comes from a Greek word, baptizo. Now, there's a lot of different thoughts about what baptizo means. Some people believe baptizo, baptizo is a word that was used for dyeing cloth. That in ancient times when they would dye cloth using indigo and other things, uh, other dyes, they would take and they would dip the cloth in a dye solution. And they would dip it in. They would immerse it. And they would bring it out. And that's, they used that word, baptizo. Some people believe that's where the origin came from. And that's why we have the origin of baptism. But, and so, but, but baptizo was a Greek interpretation of a Hebrew word, tevila, or tevila, to totally immerse, tevila. This, this Jewish ritual of immersion, tevila, was performed in a mikvah, a pool or a body of water for purification. In the Old Testament, tevila, which was a full immersion, was a ritual which symbolized a change from being tamay, impure or unfit, tamay, being unfit for the presence of God or unclean, to being tahor, which is clean or pure. You go from tamay, tamay in Hebrew, tahor in Hebrew, from being unclean to being clean in order to go from tahe to tahor tame to tahor you had to go through the water you had to wash yourself in a mikvah a mikvah could be any pool or water or the river or what but the pharisees liked a pool in fact i have a picture of it i think and this was an ancient Mikvah, it's a place where people would go down. It kind of looks like something familiar, doesn't it? Like, uh, there it is. Kind of a pool. But this wasn't something we invented here recently. The Pharisees used a mikvah. Uh, the Jews used a mikvah. They went into, before they could go into the presence of God in the temple, they had to go, they had to pass through a mikvah or through, for ritual cleaning. Anyone who became ritually unclean through contact with a dead or diseased person had to be immersed in water in a mikvah before entering the temple. After a leper had been declared healed by the priest, he had to be immersed in a mikvah. We read it in Leviticus 14. God commanded Moses and the children of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy. And he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head. He shall wash his clothes and he shall wash his body in water. In a mikvah. <laughs> and he shall be clean. So the waters of the mikvah had a ceremonial significance to make a person ritually clean, but they were meant for a deeper purpose to symbolize a clean heart. The prophet Ezekiel spoke of this spiritual cleansing through the waters of mikvah or baptism. When he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all of your idols. So John's message of baptism was not brand new. For God had commanded his people from ancient times to be washed from their impurities. What was new, however, was John's message of repentance followed by baptism. 
as a sign of faith in the Messiah, the Savior, as a symbol of a changed heart and a new relationship with God. The Old Testament mikvah was supposed to be the outward symbol of a changed heart, but it had become just a ritual, just a ritual. Something the Pharisees did, something others did, with no inward change. No inward change, but just a ritual in water, just a wash. Baptism, friends, should be the symbol, the outward symbol of the Holy Spirit immersing us in the life, the resurrection life of Jesus. When you step in that pool, and, you, and I tell you, put your hands across your chest. We're going to go back under. It is symbolizing that Jesus has come into your life. His Holy Spirit has filled you with resurrection life. And you're a new person, so the old person is dead. That's why we go back like that. And the new person is alive with the Spirit of Christ. Remember what John said, I'll baptize you with water. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I am, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that baptized means immersed, you see. And he will fill you with the life, with my life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, folks. The Holy Spirit, people get that confused. They think the Holy Spirit does all kinds of things. But the thing that the Holy Spirit does most is fill a believer with the life, with the eternal life of Christ. You don't have eternal life if you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said. If anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. Because when you are immersed in the Spirit, the life of Jesus overflows. I mean, it comes into you. Whoever drinks of the water, I will give him, Jesus said. Do you remember this story? The woman, we'll talk about her later, but it'll become in him a spring of water, a well of water, but springs up into everlasting life. Now, if John preached a message of purity from the Old Testament perspective, how much should you and I who can look back to the cross and the sacrifice and the blood of our Savior, how much more should we preach a message of purity to our world? I'm afraid that's not being done much anymore. We're not hearing that a lot today. We don't hear a message of repentance and purity before God much anymore. Today, anything goes, doesn't it? I mean, you can drink all you want. You can live together and have sex before marriage. You can do all kinds of things. But there's not a mess. Just do whatever feels good and, you know, and then maybe go get baptized. Listen, it doesn't work that way. If you're going to meet God, you're going to meet Him on His terms. And guess what? Without holiness, no man shall see God. Did you know that? We, need to say, we like to say today, come to God any way you like. God loves you just the way you are. Okay? Well, let's follow that reasoning. That might be true. But let me tell you something. If God loves you that much, you, believe, you can believe it like this. Max Licato said it really, really good. He said, yes, God, come as you are. God loves you just the way you are. But God loves you too much to leave you that way. When you come to Jesus, He loves you too much for you to come to Jesus and go away the same old person. When you come to Jesus, He transforms you. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? Come on. He's a what? New creation. And old things are passed away and all things are become new. When you're born again, you're a new creation. You're new. And Jesus loves you. And He's interested in you. And He loves you. And He's not going to leave you in your sin. When you come to Him, you've got to repent of that sin. Say, I don't want that in my life anymore. I want more of Jesus. A pure heart has always been necessary to see God. And a pure heart leads to pure words and pure thoughts and pure actions. I'm sure you've heard that saying, some of the, the excuse, well, come on, nobody's perfect. Okay, that might be true too. But that should not stop a child of God from trying to be perfect like His heavenly Father. Amen? 
In fact, Jesus said, Matthew 5, 48. Would you read it with me? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus would not have said it that way unless he meant it. He himself set an example for us. An example of faith and obedience to his Father. And he expects that in us. We have to be faithful. Zacharias and Elizabeth were faithful, and they raised a faithful son, faithful to the Lord. We need to be raising faithful children to the Lord. And what we do is we raise children, and then we let them get old enough to make some decisions on their own, and then we quit trying to tell them that they ought to serve the Lord. We quit trying to tell them that they need to live a Christian life. We, need, we quit trying to tell them that they need to be in church. No, we let them do that, do, make their own decisions. And, that's fo- and folks, just think about that for a minute. What if God, God lets you make your decision, but doesn't sometime He kind of force you to do the things that you're supposed to do? F- folks, He has for me. If you follow the Lord, there's going to be times He knows how to bring you back to His path, and sometimes it's kind of painful. It hurts. Would you let your children go and, uh, and do something that was going to harm them without warning them? You know? I mean, this world, folks, is deceitful. They've got like a... The, let me tell you what the world's like. The world ha- is like having a bottle of poison that says poison, you know, with the skull and crossbones. Poison. And that's what the world has to offer the people we love. And there it is, a bottle of poison. Okay? But the world has put a wrapper. Now, we know it's poison. But the world has put a wrapper on it and said, you know, sport drink. Sports drink. Powerade. And that's what the world has done. The world's put a new, a new wrapper on stuff. On the things that are wrong in the sight of God. And the world's put a new wrapper on it. And... The people we love are reaching out there and following the, the old rapper and it's poison to them. And if you know it, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian parent or grandparent or whatever, you need to be telling your children and your grandchildren the truth and warning them because that's exactly what God wants and that's what John the Baptist did. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, dearly loved children, And walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather give thanks to God. You will never go wrong imitating the life of Jesus. And God places people in our lives that we can also model such as John the Baptist, a person of interest to Jesus. Jesus was interested in John, and Jesus is interested in you. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to work everything out for your good. He wants to always be in your mind so that He can make everything work out for your good. And that's why He gave His life on the cross for you, to show you just how much He is interested in you. He loves you. So that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The message which John the Baptist preached so boldly was a message of purity in heart. It was a call to forsake sin and embrace the righteousness of the Lamb of God. If we do the opposite, if we embrace sin, if, you know, if we forsake sin and embrace the Lamb of God, that's great. But if we embrace sin and forsake the Lamb of God, we will abandon the only sacrifice that can forgive us and save us forever. The Pharisees were like this. They believed their water was the cleansing they needed. They failed to recognize their own sinfulness and need for a Savior. So John said to them in, in verse 7, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers! You... Bunch of snakes, that's what he said. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now Jesus said, Unless you repent, you will perish. To perish is a terrible thing. To perish without Christ is an eternal thing. So we hear John's message of purity before the Lord. 
And John said, bring forth fruits. If you're pure before God, your life will show it. And that brings to the second thing, that John's model, we see about John the Baptist, John's model of humility before the Lord. John modeled what it was to be humble before the Lord. John never forgot his place, that he was the servant and the Lord was his master. And notice about how he talked about in verses 11 and 12 here. Then Jesus, where he said, I indeed baptize, indeed I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John knew that his purpose in life was to exalt the one coming after him, the Savior of the world. He was excited about exalting Jesus. And folks, in order to exalt Jesus, we have to humble ourselves. We see in verse 13 through 15, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. He said to Jesus, You're coming to me to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, John, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed. John baptized him. Can you imagine that? Did John know Jesus? Yes, he already knew Jesus. He was related to Jesus. Mary and John's mother Elizabeth were somehow cousins or relatives of some way. So John knew who Jesus was, but he did not receive the full revelation of Jesus until that day. Notice, this, notice what it looked like. I've got to have a picture for you. When Jesus came for his baptism on that day, John recognized that Jesus had the righteousness of God, the holiness of God unlike anyone else. John saw Jesus as the Lamb of God from that day forward, the Messiah, the Savior. When he opened his spiritual eyes of faith, John recognized that Jesus needed no baptism of repentance. Jesus needed no change of heart. His heart was already pure. It was holy. So why did John ask Jesus? Why did Jesus ask John to baptize him? Because Jesus wanted to show his followers, even us today, that water does not remove sin. Baptism is a sign of being in a personal relationship with God. When we are baptized in water, it's a sign we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did when He died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. It is a witness, a testimony to others. <coughs> We're not under the Old Covenant. We're a New Testament people. And we enter the waters of baptism after we have repented of our sins. And we come out with, as a testimony to the world, we've been born again and filled with the eternal life of our resurrected Savior. But also, Jesus was baptized John because it was important for John. And John was, Jesus was interested in John. This would confirm for John that his mission was, was real. And the baptism was a reward for his faithfulness. Notice verse 16, 17, when Jesus had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And at that moment, John was changed forever. What he saw at Jesus' baptism was confirmation of his message and ministry. He would say in John 1, I did not know him. I didn't recognize who Jesus really was until then. But he who sent me to baptize with water said, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John said, I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John's humble obedience brought him one of the greatest blessings anyone could ever receive, a personal audience with the King of Kings. John experienced Jesus in the Jordan River that day in the waters of baptism because John humbled himself and exalted his Lord. And that defining moment changed everything for John. His mission was confirmed. He truly had been sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, the Messiah. And from that day, he began to point others to Jesus. John 1, 29 and 30. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. John had publicly called men to repentance. Now he publicly called them to follow Jesus. John 1, 35 through 37. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. John's two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. There's no greater joy than knowing you've pleased Jesus, that someone's found Jesus through something you've said or done. The greatest people God's ever used are those whose voices were loud and bold in public, but soft and submissive in the presence of the King of Kings. I can just see that Old Testament high priest on the Day of Atonement going through the mikvah waters, dressing in his white clothing to represent his nation before the Lord in the temple in the Holy of Holies. I can see him bowing his head in humble submission, moving back the curtain and entering the Holy of Holies with blood to sprinkle on the altar in humility. In the presence of Almighty God, there's no pride, there's no arrogance. In His presence, there's a sense of His greatness. And it brings us to a place of humble submission. Listen to the voice of Almighty God. Isaiah 66, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hands have made. And all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one, this person, I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. What makes us tremble at God's word? Faith in his word. Belief that what God said is true, every part of it. You know, in our world today, folks, where sin is being advertised and promoted, where sexual perversion is being embraced, where foul language is pushed and heard everywhere, even from those who call themselves Christians, where true worship of God has been replaced with convenient worship, whenever you want to or if you want to, <clears throat> where being a Christian is a result of being baptized or joining a church or trying to be a good person or just saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. It is evident to me in our world that very few people tremble at the word of Almighty God. And you know something? God is not paying attention to them. That's right. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah said, the Lord said to Isaiah, this is the person I will notice. This is the person in whom I'll take interest. It's the person who trembles, who humbles before me and trembles at my word. I don't know about you, but folks, I need God's attention, don't you? I need His presence, don't you? People don't seek the Lord like they once did. They don't pray as they once did. They don't seek His guidance in the Word as they once did. They don't seek Him in worship as they once did. We're in a terrible moral and spiritual mess because there's so few true Christians and the ones who are real Christians are afraid to speak like John the Baptist. Afraid to speak the truth of repentance and humility before God. They are afraid their message might offend someone so they don't talk about Jesus or His Word. They don't talk about sin or repentance anymore. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. John said, you must bear the fruit of a repentant heart because every tree which does not bear fruit is, take, is cut down. I don't want to be cut down. I don't want to be cut off by God. I don't want my fellowship with God to be hindered by my own arrogance. I want to have the kind of heart John did. A heart that seeks to exalt Jesus. In his fourth gospel, John gave us an example of John the Baptist. Notice this example. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification in the water. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified... I'm talking about Jesus. Behold, he's, Jesus is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Aren't you jealous? And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from, a, from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He, read that with me, he must increase, but I must decrease. Say that again. He must increase, but I must decrease. Folks, that's certainly not the attitude of our world today, is it? People today are not willing to give of themselves. They want to take everything they can get. There's such a victim mentality today. People walking around with a chip on their shoulder just waiting for somebody to say or do something to offend them. There's this entitlement attitude where people are angry that someone has something that they do not have. There's a spirit of selfish pride that's sweeping our nation and wants to exalt self above everything and everybody. There's no room for God 
or church or giving because it's all about me. No, you, no, way, no way I'm going to serve because I want it all about me. There's no different. This is no different. There is no, there is no heart like John had that says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Today, it's I must increase. John realized his purpose in life. His greatest purpose in life was pleasing Jesus and helping others find Him as Lord and Savior. When was the last time you did something or said something that helped a person meet Jesus? Right now, think about your life and ask yourself, am I pleasing Jesus? Nobody can answer that but you. Am I practicing a life of purity and humility? Do I have His attention? Or has He turned His face from me? Friends, you can be a Christian and still be out of fellowship with God. That's a dangerous place to be. God can do painful things to bring us back to Him and keep us from destroying ourselves. Is that where you are today? Or is your goal, is your, or is your number one goal in life pleasing Jesus? And you practice the purity and the humility that keeps His eyes on you. Folks, that's the place of safety is under the eyes of Jesus. That's the best place to be. When Dr. W.A. Criswell, pastor of the largest Southern Baptist Church in North America, it used to be, First Baptist Dallas, was preaching in the North Shore Baptist Church in Chicago, he was entertained at the home of a deacon named James L. Kraft. Y'all ever had Kraft macaroni and cheese? Okay. He, well, he happened to be the superintendent of the Sunday school and the founder of Kraft Foods. Well, Kraft said that as a young man, he had a desire to be the most famous manufacturer and salesman of cheese in the world. He planned on becoming rich and famous by making and selling cheese. So he began as a young man with a little buggy pulled by a pony named Patty. After making his cheese, that old young Kraft would load his little wagon. He and Patty would drive down the streets of Chicago to sell the cheese. As the months passed, young Kraft began to despair because he wasn't making any money in spite of his long hours and hard work. So one day, he pulled his little pony to a stop and he began to talk to him. And he said, Patty, there's something wrong here. We're not doing it right. I'm afraid we have this thing turned around. Our priorities are not where they ought to be. Maybe we ought to serve God and place Him first in our lives. Well, Kraft then drove home and he made a covenant that for the rest of his life he would serve God first and he would work as God directed. And many years after this, Dr. Chris will heard James Kraft say, after now he's a mega millionaire, okay? He said, he said, I would rather be a layman in the North Shore Baptist Church than to head the greatest corporation in America because my first job is serving Jesus. Now, what do you think about that? One of the wealthiest men in America said, my first job is serving Jesus. Don't you wish we had more like that? What is your first job? What is the most important thing in your life? Who is the most important person in your life? It should be Jesus. The people met Jesus met are just like us. The difference is how they responded to Jesus. John responded by being bold in his message and humble in his service. For Jesus. Jesus saw him as a person of interest, and Jesus is interested in you. And he proved that when he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Jesus is interested in you. How interested are you in Jesus? Would you bow with me? Pleasing Jesus was the most important thing in John's life. Now just be honest with yourself. How important is pleasing Jesus to you? What is the message the world hears from you? Is it your message? Is, it, is your message repent and turn to Jesus? Or is your message, well, just live any way you want. It's okay. Do you seek the Lord? God said, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So how much of your heart is really seeking God? What needs to change in your life 
so that God can fulfill his purpose in you. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Who is on top of your life? Jesus or someone or something else? Maybe today you need to get serious with God and repent of your sin and accept Jesus. I can help you. Pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much. You took a special interest in me when you died on the cross and rose from the dead. And you've got, you, you are interested in me today or else I wouldn't be hearing this message. So I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I'm really sorry, Jesus, for sinning against you. I'm sorry for embracing sin and forsaking you. I pray that you'll forgive me for all my sins, that you'll come into my life and be my Savior. I accept you today, Jesus. I want you on top of my life. I want you leading me and guiding me. I want you to be the most important thing in my life. Jesus, I want you to use me to turn people to you before it's too late. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. I confess you as my Savior. I always will. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, Jesus has come into your life, given you new life. You need to be baptized if you haven't been as a sign of your new faith. While we're singing, I'll be at the front if I can pray for you or help you in any way. And I'll be here for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, your Holy Spirit would do whatever he wants to do in the life of every person here to make you first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Steve. Stand with us as we sing together without him. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship.